Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova Strategic Edge, a bi-weekly audio business program where we explore emerging strategies in strategic innovation from the edges of the business ecosystem. In this shorter companion program to our bi-weekly Stranova interview podcast, we explore the implications of some of the newest strategic trends in business from all over the world and present them every other week, alternating with our regular interview series. So, thanks for tuning in. And let's get started with this episode of Stranova Strategic Edge. In the 1970s, the Royal Dutch Shell Corporation, the formal name for the company many of us know as Shell Oil, launched a series of strategic planning activities that later became a model for what we now refer to as scenario planning. As part of those activities, they launched a study of our modern corporations, an organizational form which has only existed since the late 1800s, believe it or not. A major conclusion of some of these studies was that most corporations seem not to be able to survive past 20 years of existence. It also concluded further that, even if the corporate name were to live on, the only way a corporation could survive is by drastically changing the nature of its business, so much so that you'd never recognize it if you were part of the original founding group. So, 20 years from founding, most corporations will either go out of business, be sold to others who integrate their new acquisition with other businesses, acquire other businesses themselves that in turn significantly change the whole, or have radically transformed themselves through some internal miracle. In this episode of Stranova Strategic Edge, we're going to explore how applicable those theories may apply now, more than 30 years after those initial observations were made. We're going to look at this by considering three corporations that indeed themselves didn't exist when Shell was making its predictions, and in fact, were so different in nature that many of us, especially only a few years ago, might have questioned the wisdoms of Shell's conclusions. Those corporations are America Online, Microsoft, and Google. With all the different stages of their life cycle, and through their stories and the lens of Shell's conclusions, their stories should provide some interesting insight to the businesses many of you are leading and the challenges you're facing. Before we get to those specific cases, however, let's consider some theoretical underpinnings about the system's nature of organizational and societal life cycles, and why they just might suggest these studies were right in saying corporations have a 20-year limit. As one way of looking at this, in the recent bestseller, Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed, historical analyst and Pulitzer Prize winner Jared Diamond developed a theory not only for why some societies have failed in the past, but also why their failures seem to come on so suddenly, as a catastrophic collapse rather than a slow degradation. With models such as the inhabitants of Easter Island and the Mayan civilization at hand, Professor Diamond concluded that there are five sets of factors that contribute to these collapses. Those factors are, paraphrasing from his excellent text, 1. The environmental damage that a society causes. 2. Climate change that arise from outside the society. 3. The impact of hostile neighbors on the society. 4. The decreasing support by friendly neighbors. And last, the differing way the society responds to the above four factors. In business terms, one way of thinking about these is, of course, as an intersecting system of competing and cooperative businesses within the entire community, the existing and emergent technologies that support it, 
standards, regulated and otherwise, for how products are used and how businesses can work together within the environment. The various applications and other paths for connecting each product area with its customer base and the customers themselves. With this model in mind then, Professor Diamond's first factor of environmental damage could have its analogy in a business attempting to corner supplies in one region, but a better analogy is in the bull in a china shop concept, where a given corporation tends to so dominate the entire business community as to destroy working relationships and damage the interconnecting changes and systems that make a business environment flow. Increased hostility the entire environment emerges and a corporation suddenly finds itself immersed in the toxic waste of the bad blood it has generated. The outside environmental damage that is called out as the second factor might be considered as analogous to Clayton Christensen's famous disruptive technology concept in which a corporation suddenly finds itself unable to protect itself against the changes coming from the outside. In physiological terms, the corporation has no natural immune response to protect itself from those changes and has developed no proactive strategies to innovate around the disruptive changes. This factor could also, of course, relate to surprise outside constraints to the business, such as legal and regulatory decisions that come to pass with little warning. The impact of hostile neighbors, the third factor, and its counterpart, the fourth factor dealing with the decreased support of friends, are, of course, easier to understand in the business world. Finding yourself suddenly engaged with tough competitors coming from formerly well-protected markets, or finding that those who used to cooperate with you on joint standards, distribution channels, application development for your products, or joint product development are now far less cooperative are all things many of us can relate to. And the final factor, the differing way companies respond to each of these challenges, is of course what the whole story of success versus failure is all about anyway. Those factors form a frame for thinking about how the collapse of business happens. But the question then still remains, why would it be that there's a 20-year life cycle in all this that in Shell's terms most corporations follow and, according to the studies, die, radically change, which seems to me very similar to dying in a sense, or are assimilated through merging with another organization. To think about this, as a model I've developed for analyzing strategy, you can think of organizations and what they're about as in three parts. Essence, the capacity to transform themselves and the nature of their interconnections within the business ecosystem. How does this apply then in terms of corporate life cycle? When a business is first created, you are definitely operating at the front end of the big bang of creation, with ideas swirling around, financial models still just so much dark matter, and what is necessary to sustain the operation for the long term still a black hole. The business's core essence may be understood at some gut level, but it still needs further clarification and articulation. I would argue that most businesses are developed around the idea of a new product, service, or market segment, with the founders having some background in certain aspects of this. But no one has truly taken the time to reduce the business concept to its core essence. Further, in the natural drive to get the products out and generate cash flow, it's hard to take the time and energy for the deep thinking about what the business is indeed really about, going well beyond just the initial set of products. A company's essence, then, instead of being defined consciously from within, tends to get formed through the raw experience of the initial product birthing cycles. A few people with an initial set of business ideas drive that through, get some customer feedback, and for us to even consider the 20-year syndrome we're talking about, do have some initial success. 
and they define their essence in terms of those specific successes rather than truly taking the more challenging look at what they really want to create for the long term. I know you're probably thinking that I'm being overly hard on most companies. After all, they're just starting out. It's like being a child, isn't it? Being gifted with certain innate capabilities, but you really have to experiment and try to find out who you really are, right? The problem for me with applying the metaphor of the child to a business is that a child is still developing its capacity for will and consciousness, and the people who are forming a business do already have significantly stronger capacities for will and consciousness in their planning. So, those that let their experiences define their essence from without, rather than generating it from within, are missing perhaps the most critical opportunity to create an organization that is truly built to last, as the book from some years ago named it. How does this manifest itself going forward? If the deep thinking and planning I've described here has happened, a corporation will continue that considered approach as it learns which product market combinations succeed and which ones fail. It will hire individuals with the differential energies to expand and grow the business and challenge the way things are while always sourcing guidance from the deep understanding of the essence of the business. The corporation will emphasize, like natural ecosystems do, constant reassessment and regeneration of new life within the business, while funding that new life with the existing approaches that have made it successful in the past. It will build capacities for internal transformation to enable the opportunity to try new things that support its essence, but not necessarily the current manifestations of that essence. And again, in a similar way as with living beings, it will experiment with paths that will fail occasionally as it drives new roots and new shoots outwards to see if those paths can provide further opportunities for growth. In most cases, however, companies that are indeed defining their essence from the outside and focusing so much on the urgent tend to, in my opinion, simultaneously head out on two restrictive paths. The first of these is the rapid winnowing of alternative business ideas that were under consideration when the business first formed, so that there is more focus and better cost control, which are good, but also so that there is less opportunity for future exploratory ventures. The second of these is the hiring of new employees in the image of what the current employees believe is working, with little thought to the long-term transformative needs of the business. This second wave of immigrants to the new business, if you like, will be more loyal to the presumed cause of the business, and at worst only randomly able to lead it beyond the current business direction. I refer to this as the calcification of the organization. The company's initial flexible capacity for experimentation and creativity tends to fade over time. It becomes stiff in its willingness to consider and ability to act on new ideas that come up, whether from within as it tries to expand its reach or driven by needs from the outside, such as Jared Diamond's factors of hostile neighbors or external environmental catastrophes. In a bit of a paradox, this stiffening can be hastened in part by steps the company does in theory to help it become more competitive, such as re-engineering of processes, so-called strategic reorganizations to get more synergy between previously separate functions and similar actions. As for time frames, the initial formation and settling in of the business on what it determines to be its essence can take several years. Once that is in place, the steps of stiffening that I described just moments ago can begin to settle in within the next, say, five to eight years and become especially acute as people hired in after the initial formation begin to hire the next level down, with even less understanding of the core essence that may have enabled the company to form in the first place. Other factors also begin to take hold beginning in the same time frame, especially so as the company sees more and more success in the early product lines and markets it created. 
These include more than a little bit of fiscal sloppiness, which can appear in as small areas as ineffective department fiscal oversight, all the way to extravagant parties for the entire organization. You may recall some of these that appeared in the most flamboyant years of the dot-com boom. They also can include a growing arrogance on the part of the founders who, like many of us when we were young, feel they are unstoppable and that external factors could never bring them down. You will recognize that arrogance in at least two major ways. The denial of the significance of outside alternative solutions to the problem the corporation is currently solving with its older product lines, and the wild and extravagant investments or acquisitions, either in size, quantity, or both, of possible future product ideas without appropriate conscious thought as to their fit with the corporate essence. The end result of all of this is a weakened corporation with neither the literal backbone of internal innovative capacity nor enough connection to its business environment to survive the challenges and attacks that will begin to appear in earnest some 10 to 15 years out in the corporate life cycle. It may take a while, but the corporation will soon and often quickly die off just as the original Shell Oil studies suggested. To take just a few examples, consider the cases we mentioned at the beginning of this minicast, America Online, or AOL, Microsoft, and Google. AOL launched in 1985 as Quantum Computer Services in May of that year, and in what must have been a very exciting time, launched their first online venture for Commodore Computers in November of 1985. Confident of their initial offerings, AOL expanded their online services to include Apple's Mac and Apple II in 1989 and added an IBM PC version in 1990. An early Windows version of AOL came out in 1993, and soon after, the rapid growth curve for AOL began to take off. They went from a half a million members to over two million within two years after that, expanded internationally, then acquired both CompuServe and Netscape in 1998. In 2000, they acquired Time Warner using their expanded, or inflated, depending on your point of view, stock market value, with the thought of expanding the online offerings of AOL using Time Warner's strong and established media empire. What happened since then? The stock has plummeted by around fivefold from its year 2000 peak. The founder is gone, and AOL's core market share of the original online market is dropping significantly. Why? I would argue all the calcifying things I talked about likely happened internally, as certainly the external manifestations suggest. AOL has been the slowest of the major online services to accept that free email accounts with a very different business model, online advertising, are taking over. AOL has also failed to develop the group of friendly partners that its competitors at both Google and Yahoo realized was critical to their success, supporting one of Jared Diamond's points. AOL, similarly, has been slow to respond to the competitive challenges of broadband services who simply went around them to serve their own customer base and better than they in many cases. And they have demonstrated the wild extravagance of investing in a very different and dissimilar business, Time Warner. In Microsoft's case, they were founded in the 1970s as a company that acquired or adapted strategic innovation from outside the company, including the famous DOS operating system, and combined with a tough, some would say ruthless, attitude toward competitors, they grew their operating system and core Microsoft Office product lines into what many think of now as a near monopoly. Yet even with that success, their internal focus on the desktop and denial of the growing importance of the Internet as a critical long-term competitive environmental factor, again in Diamond's terms, laid them open to an almost critical disaster in the mid-1990s, yes, some 20 years after their founding. 
I regard Bill Gates' decisions to create Internet Explorer and its initial linkage to its core product lines, plus its strategic acquisition of the online services firm Groove Networks and the placement of that company's founder, Ray Ozzie, as Microsoft's new CTO, as the key reasons Microsoft may just yet see the regenerative rebirth that it needs to stay ahead and survive for the long haul. And what of Google, the innovative startup that we all rely on daily to browse the Internet? It's still young, with concepts developed at Stanford, its founders nurtured in the incubator of Silicon Valley, and only seven years old at this point. And although some of the early concerns of building too much in what succeeded the first time are there, my impressions are both that the founders are well aware of their core essence, as well as that they are taking the necessary steps to be gentle with the environmental damage their presence wreaks on the business ecosystem while developing strong relationships with partners and continually growing olive branches to potential competitors. I don't know what the company is going to look like at 20, but to me it's doing many of the right things right now at age 7. So what do you think of all of this talk about the corporate life cycle? Is it true that most companies are doomed to cease to exist some 20 years after their initial incarnation? And if so, what does it mean to what each of us needs to consider in the launching of our businesses? as well as in the development of processes and concepts to ensure the long-term strength of will, clarity of essence, and capacity for regenerative transformation that will allow us to see those businesses succeed and grow well past their 20th birthday. I really do want to know what you think about this and your own experiences and how this applies to your own businesses. Please visit our blog at blog.sternova.com to comment, write us at ideas at sternova.com, or call us on our Skype comment line by calling at 1-408-849-4394 or clicking on our homepage. That's our show for this week, and thanks for listening. If you're interested in rebuilding the regenerative and strategic innovation capacity of your own business, we at Stranova would like to help. With over 30 years leading strategic innovation businesses from high-tech to nonprofit, we know we can help you with everything from product family development to the full strategic reinvention of your corporation. If you're interested, please contact us at ideas at Stranova.com. Next on Stranova's interview series, we are talking with Steve Benitez, the CEO and founder of the first and still one of the most dominant coffee chains in the Philippines, Bose Coffee Club, about the art of entrepreneurship and passion, and what it means to create and maintain new businesses both in the powerful emerging economy of the Philippines and throughout the world. Join us when it goes live on the Internet on Monday, April 10th. If you have comments on this week's show or suggestions for topics or guests for future shows, please contact us by email at ideas at sternova.com at our Sternova comment line at 1-408-849-4394 or via Skype by clicking on the link on our homepage. You can also join in our conversation by connecting with us on our Stranova blog by clicking the link on our homepage or going directly to blog.stranova.com. We look forward to your thoughts and the growing dialogue we're building on the intersection of strategy and innovation. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson, and this is Brad Redderson thanking you for joining us this time at Stranova Strategic Edge.